Hello, and welcome back to How To Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. Each week, we're talking to happiness experts, celebrities, and ordinary people to uncover their secrets to living a good life. My name is Kate DeBrito. I'm your host and guide on this journey into happiness. Let's begin. AJ Betts is an author of young adult fiction, but she's on the podcast today as an advocate for creativity. According to AJ, or Amanda, being creative is an act of courage. It's one that requires authenticity, vulnerability, and daring. She says people often assume that creativity is something other people have, when in fact it's something we can all nurture in ourselves and something that can help us to lead richer lives. Her new book, which is out now, is called One Song, and we talk a bit about the process of her bringing that to life, but also about how you can embrace creativity in your everyday life. So we were just talking about (laughs) what to call you, because you write under the name AJ Betts, but your name's Amanda. Was that a deliberate choice to use a a non-gender name in your writing? That was a deliberate choice. Uh, My first novel I specifically set about trying to write something to convert (laughs) disengaged male teenage readers, try to convince them that uh, reading is cool. So I, I wrote a very short, very edgy book. And I thought, before it went to publication, I thought, why don't I take off any final hurdles to getting them to read it and just make myself gender neutral? So that's where it came from. I don't just write for that very small, um, disinterested cohort anymore, but I do like the concept that I can write for and about males or females and I can inhabit other bodies. And I I like to think that my readers can understand that and accept that. That's okay, that you can see the world through different eyes. I made myself gender neutral. Do you think having a pen name, obviously your surname's still there, is a pen name freeing in that way? Does it enable you, as you sort of suggested, to inhabit another character to be less self-conscious when you're writing? It does give me just a little bit of distance from my normal self, which is nice. So it's not like having a a persona really in the real world, but sometimes before I go on stage, for instance, I think, all right, now I'm AJ. (laughs) Perhaps AJ is a little bit more confident, a bit more extroverted than perhaps Amanda is. So it just gives me a little bit of a buffer It does get confusing sometimes, so I acknowledge that. Well, I'm going to call you both just to confuse it all the more. AJ, Amanda, we'll swap between them. So thank you so much for coming on and chatting today. As people will have heard in the intro, you're an author, but you're also a teacher and you've been teaching writing for years. How important is creativity in living a happy life, in your opinion? I can't imagine not being creative in my life. I don't know if it's essential for everybody's life, the things that I do, but yeah, I just can't imagine living this one life and never imagining possibilities, other alternatives, because the way I see it, I only get to live this one life, I only get to be in this one body and experience these things. But 
when I am wondering, when I'm imagining, when I'm asking what if questions, when I'm creating, I get to see it from so many different perspectives. I get to be other people and to learn empathy. So it's definitely been a cornerstone of my life. And I think, I like to think that it's important for everyone. And it it doesn't have to be as a novelist, obviously, but creativity in whatever ways you wish to imagine it, whether it's in your actual workplace or whether it's creating something as a hobby, I think, doesn't that just enrich all of our lives? So obviously I'm an advocate. Is everyone creative? Because I think that a lot of people will say they're not creative. There's this mythology around where ideas come from or that I'm some kind of as a writer, I'm some kind of creative genius that I draw in this magical, mystical pool. It's being creative. These are qualities that we all are born with that unfortunately a lot of us lose over our lives. So it's, for me, being creative involves being observant, being curious, and then, yeah, being investigative or inquiring. What would it be like? What would life be like if it was different? So I inhabit the real world as we all do and I see things that we all see but then what's going on in my mind is a form of daydreaming I guess, this act of daydreaming. What would it be like if it were different? So it's definitely accessible. Creativity is definitely accessible to everyone and it's not some magical ability. It's having these qualities and giving yourself permission to daydream, permission to ask questions, that it's not some kind of childish or frivolous pursuit really it's creativity is something that everyone can develop I think at its simplest you might say that creativity isn't about inventing things I don't feel like I'm inventing anything I feel like creativity is making connections that you hadn't seen before and that's definitely not a mystical thing that's uh, something that we can that we can practice It feels like a lot of people are afraid of creativity. Have you found that when you're teaching people how to write or how to express themselves creatively? Yeah, I I spend a lot of time with with teenagers and uh, I definitely see that with them that, well, they're afraid of getting things wrong. I think adults perhaps are more afraid of being foolish or being embarrassed. Perhaps they say something that is too personal or something that opens them up to be vulnerable. Whereas teenagers, I feel, are more afraid of getting something wrong. So these are real fears and I I get that. And also a fear of not being good at something as if it's, I don't know, it's like golf, you're good at it and not good at it. One of the things I like to say is there's no... There's no one right way and there's no one wrong way. There are just infinite ways and you get to choose. And I think part of the fear is choice actually as well because when you become aware that there are infinite possibilities, that's quite paralyzing as well. But which one? But which one? And the fun bit is just go with the one that feels right to you. Well, I was talking to my daughter about creativity before this podcast and she was mentioned the fig tree, the Sylvia Plath poem. I think it's called the fig tree and that idea that there's so many different branches going off in so many different directions. 
that if you get paralysed by that idea of I don't know which one to take, you'll never take any of the paths, right? Absolutely. And that's the, I like that idea of branching out and branching up because that's what I feel like I'm doing when I'm creating. I might start with an opening question and I brainstorm possibilities. It might come up with five possibilities and I choose one and that leads to more questions which branch. So you're constantly branching out and I guess there's this organic, this natural shape to it of the way a tree does or the way the neurons in our brains work or I don't know, I'm sure there are lots of patterns in in nature that relate to the creative process. And it's that fear that some people have of, of getting to that point and not knowing. But what could possibly go wrong? Like, sure, I might choose something that takes me off to this branch and open something else up. And I might hit a dead end or I might not like it, but I just come back. I go back to the previous branch and I go, but what if this happened? And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to be very clear about that. When I start a book, I have no idea what I'm doing. Half of that creates fear in me and the other half is excitement. Uh, And you've just got to live with both working at the same. They're similar energies, aren't they? Fear and excitement. Mm. Yeah. And to be okay with both of those existing simultaneously and to not knowing. I don't know. And that's kind of the appeal and that's kind of the fun of working out where it's going to go. Well, it strikes Um, me that a lot of people sometimes see a creative pursuit as a destination rather than a journey. And maybe that's where they're getting it wrong. Because if you think of it like somewhere you've got to get to, you're always thinking about the outcome, right? Is it going to be any good? Is it, I mean, I guess if it's a creative pursuit that you're trying to sort of make a living out of, is it successful? But surely you can't go through all of that effort and all of that work and not just try and just enjoy where you're at while you're doing it. It's important to just keep touching, you know, touching base and and checking in with yourself going, this is the process. This is fun. And you're right. There are a lot of people who don't start something new, whether it's a novel or a new hobby or learning an instrument because they're aware of the time that it's going to take. And I've had a number of young people, but also older people who say, oh, if I can't write a book in a year, what's the point of starting? And because they're so product focused, or if I can't make, you know, a million dollars from a book, why bother start? They're thinking too much about it. And they don't start. And so I'm like the tortoise, really, just taking my time and working out, as we said, which branch to follow and taking four years to write every book. But I end up with something that I couldn't have imagined at the start. To be okay with that and to be okay with failure and to be okay with throwing chapters away and thinking, well, I've all that that I wrote for the last month, I'm not going to use that. And that's all part of the process. So it does deter a lot of people because... They're focused on the product, as you say. And you talked about creativity in your own life, but watching other people and helping them tap into their creativity, how have you seen it improve people's well-being and happiness? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. If they're creating stories for other people and imagining possibilities, I think what I see is they can start to apply that to themselves to realise that they're a character in their own story as well that they do have choices, that their story hasn't been written. So I think, I guess the word there is empowerment. It can empower people to take control of their own lives in a way that perhaps they didn't feel they had permission to do earlier. So besides that, thinking of of your own life, 
in a parallel way to something you're creating as well as that. It's just a joy to have an outlet to do something other than what you have to, <laughs> like something that people expect of you or want of you or need of you. Like I have a list of chores in my diary right now and it's, <laughs> I have to do, you know, and then because I'm such an organized person, they're all in, in columns and, you know, there's boxes. Oh, I'd love to see that. We'll do another oh. podcast and you can <laughs> run us through your to-do lists. It's it's all categorized, I can tell you that. But if you just look at that all day and you just keep coming up, it's quite depressing and just go, I have to, I have to, I have to. But your days and your life shouldn't be made up of I have to. It's what is it I want to do. So one of my planning strategies actually that I do have, I can't believe I'm saying this, is I, I try to think of my day like a, a circle and to break it up into thirds and to have to work out because the wheel needs to keep turning. So what and are the sometimes, How does sometimes it work? I have it in quarters, actually, to be honest, more recently, I've had it in quarters. So one is work, things I have to do. One is personal, like it might be body or mental health stuff. The other is creative. What am I actually making? The fourth one, sometimes it's not a fourth one, fourth one might be social or other people, like connecting with other people because there are times in my life where I've gone through, I've just been doing, focusing on work or focusing on creative and I've missed the social aspect. I keep forgetting that I should do that or or that I need to do exercise. So there's the, the four yeah, at the moment I've got four, but like I said, sometimes it's five depending on what I'm needing. So I have that built into my day. So I'm like, what is it that I need every day? Inside, outside, active, quiet, uh, sorry, active, passive, and loud, quiet, just to try to get that, all the components I need of the day. But anyway, the to-do list. I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> breaking down the day into into all those sorts of things. What about the to-do list of what other people want you to do? I've always got a big one of in that section, things that other yeah. people ask me to do. I've tried to make it smaller, but it's hard. It, that's right. And I try to give it a certain time of the day to do it. Uh, so what I do when I'm writing, I'm not writing today, for instance, I've got a number of things on, but tomorrow I will wake up and I'll write the best time for me is morning. So I will prioritize that and it might be three to four hours ideally. And that's no social media. That's no emails. That's just me and the, the project I'm working on. And then in the afternoon after lunch, say I might, that's when I go to my emails or do the things I have to do and that's because I've I'm okay I'm better at doing them then but my creative work needs the best part of my Mm. brain I think Mm. and the other stuff I can generally do in the afternoon and I can get them knocked off more quickly as well I like to think so so yeah so be so and I want things in my life that bring me joy that fill me up so if there's a creative well, really, and I'm doing things for other people, that's just draining it and filling it up, it involves writing, but it also involves reading. So one of the other things in my diary at the moment is I have to actually write down reading time because otherwise I'm not going to prioritize it. And that fills up my well also. I've got a good friend who told me that he, um, he, he, he said one day that I said, you, you get through quite a lot of books. And he said, well, I just try to read you know, 30 pages a day. I just set myself a, a thing so that he sits down and and gets through it, not as a chore. Obviously he wants to read, but the temptation always to put down your book and pick up your phone because someone's texted you or, you know, to, to do something else can overwhelm 
even the things you want to do, right? And I guess I wanted to ask you about that in terms of creativity. I think people have this idea, and maybe this is one of the things that prevents people from diving into their creativity, is they're sort of waiting for inspiration to hit. But it's a real paradox with creativity, isn't it? Because you have to obviously have the inspiration, but if you wait and do other things until it hits, you probably won't ever get anything done. So there's a bit of a sort of balance, isn't there, sort of sitting down or, you know, standing up if that's your creative thing. But you've got to get into it at some point, right? It's not going to write itself. Uh, Some people have this idea that I laze around under a tree and, I don't know, eat grapes and, you know, just muse, just just look into the into the sky and like what do you think I'm doing like I'm I've I've got these frown lines here that's from staring at the laptop and furiously typing <laughs> sure when I'm out walking the dog I'll look at the sky and I'll you know let my brain want wander but when I'm writing I, yeah I have to write I'm not going to sit around and just think so it takes me like I said on average four years to create a book and that's a lot of hard working and and I'm not going to sit around and wait for inspiration. We, we we get ideas all the time. I think most people get these ideas when they're washing up or they're talking to someone, but most of the time we forget about them. But yeah, I I, I could just wait around for those, but instead I've got to make it work because what happens for me is when I'm writing, that's when realizations come to me that's when I discover things I don't discover things from thinking I can't do that I have to be there and write three pages of of whatever nonsense rubbish you know just blah 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 until I discover something that I needed to and I couldn't have done that without the hard work so writing is this wonderful um People think I'm in control of what I'm doing, but I'm discover. It feels like I'm discovering it. Yes, I, I have a, a starting idea, and I might have a sense of it, but I've got to discover it through the writing process, not the thinking, not thinking at all. So yeah, it's definitely making myself do the work and then letting the discoveries come to me, and letting also the subconscious work on problems when I'm not meaning to so when I am out walking the dog or washing the dishes I might have a, an epiphany about a story I'm working on but that's only because I've sat at my laptop for four hours that morning and really just needed like the problems over and just got my hands dirty with it so yeah I'm not I'm not sitting around you know just having cups of tea and asking philosophical questions I'm trying new things, pulling stories apart, mashing them together. feels like a very physical thing. I hear myself when I talk about it, like I'm manipulating this actual dough or something like that. It sounds like it also requires a high degree of faith, though, as well. You're trusting in a process. As you said, you may not know where you're going, but you know that at some point it will become clear. Did you always have that faith when you started writing? Did you struggle more to develop that? And how would you suggest people who want to start being creative establish that sort of faith in the process? That's a good word. Yeah, not well done. It's uh, You're right. It takes a lot of faith. And I'm going to say this. I have six novels published. I've got two others that I that were just practice ones. But I haven't really learned how to write a novel yet. The main thing I've learned is to have faith. Because as you say, you're writing 
into the dark. It's an expression sometimes writers use. You're writing it into the dark. You can't see it. Another expression some people use is that you're in a, a dark room and you're trying to navigate around, but you've only got a very weak torchlight in your hand and you can only see just immediately in front of you and you've got to creep around. So that takes faith that you're not going to trip over, that you're not going to hurt yourself, that you're not going to get lost, and that you're going to make your way through it. So the only thing I have learned is to keep going and to know that I will light up what I need to light up as I go. And I'm saying this now, the project I'm working on is brand new. And every day I, I think, what am I, I don't know how, I don't know. <laughs> and but that, I don't let that stop me. That's the main thing. That's the, one of the big differences between myself, say, and someone who says, I've always wanted to write a novel. And there are lots of these people. And I said, well, go for it. But you've got to be okay with uncertainty mm-hmm. and to write into the dark mm-hmm. and to trust not yourself, I like I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but to trust the process and your subconscious that it's going to help you out. So I guess that's my advice is to not give up when you don't know and also not to give up when the inner voice, the inner critic is telling you it's crap because it's going to keep going. My inner critic is very noisy and and mean uh, and it hasn't, <laughs> she hasn't shut up yet. Uh, you'd think, you know, other people have, far much more confidence in me than than I have they're like you know what you're doing I'm like really but that inner voice is still going what are you doing why don't you get a real job why don't you do something that will sell a lot of copies why don't you do why don't you why don't this isn't any all of that stuff Mm. so one of the other things I've learned besides having faith is that just to not stop what I'm doing because of the voice because she's always going to be there and I think she's you know that's partly fear and partly self-preservation and she means well but just to do it anyway to do the scary thing anyway and so that's what I've taken with me from my writing just feel the fear but do it anyway if someone said right now AJ how can I get started is there anything that people can use to really get them on their way I'm thinking come at it with a sense of curiosity mm-hmm. to start with. Don't come at it. You've got, you know, high expectations or there's huge pressure that it's going to change your life. So just come at it with an interest, like a childlike interest. And what would it be like? Yeah, an innocence or a naivety. So that might be a good good way to start with your approach. Second one is just to be a, fill yourself up with other people's as well like I love to read I love to watch film and story and and just to learn as much as I can through what other people so there's a number of writers that I'm writing my book I don't read though because what would they know so just be quiet and observant and learn the things that you like as well so every time I'm reading I am a quite a critical reader but but I'm thinking what is it about this story that grabs me and so I'm I'm becoming more discerning and I I'm gravitating towards things that move me. And I guess finally is just just to try to enjoy the, the process. This is your life. Your life is not made up of products. Your life, like I spent four years writing a book and then it comes out and then people are excited for one or two months. My life is made up of the process and that's mine. People think their lives will change if they're good at something or they get acknowledgement for something I don't feel any different to how I did when I was a little girl making up stories you know in in the sugar canes of far north Queensland I'm just always wondering where things are going to go and so that's what I enjoy about it but yeah you don't you don't really change so I guess everything I've just said comes down to being quiet and 
being introspective Mm -hmm. and thinking what moves you more than the external and more than you know you'd never write to a trend for instance because trends are pretty transitory uh, and it, it's only about yourself really when it comes down to it the thing that matters to you and you have to trust that it's going to matter to other people as well you talked about being childlike why is it easier for young children to be creative than it is for adults does it come back to that fear of criticism or judgment they are curious we are born with a sense of wonder why are we here we ask the big questions like they're curious questions as well like why is the sky blue but also (laughs) why are we here where do we come from what's the meaning of it all and we stop asking these things because we don't know the answers adults we go around asking you know creating to-do lists and all these busy charts for ourselves but we're filling up our days with so much noise and when the big questions are just underlying it all we don't know why we're here and we don't know what the meaning of it and we don't know what we're supposed to do with our one life we don't know where we go when we die and I wish we could all adults could all ask these things more and just be okay with that uncertainty and be curious with that so children ask the big questions they ask lots of small questions as we know but they're taught through school to shush and stop asking so many questions and often it's teachers don't know the answers to these especially the philosophical questions so we're taught not to ask questions we don't know the answers to but my thinking is they're the questions we should continue asking not because we want answers but because we want to imagine possibilities and especially when we get to high school and there's shame and embarrassment around it you want to fit in and that Mm. means just biting your tongue on things that might make you different but we're all the same (laughs) so unfortunately by the time I yeah I see teenagers especially late teenagers they're afraid to show their vulnerabilities I guess and their idiosyncrasies Uh, and then they're just on this like we're all on this conveyor belt really just okay now we go to uni or now we get a job and and so the, it's like this shrinking brain and of what matters that looking at all the tiny things rather than the expanse of big things it's interesting because you sort of said we stop asking questions sometimes because we don't know and i i see what you mean there but sometimes i think we stop asking questions because we think we do know. We've created our sort of boundaries. We've gone, oh, this is who I am. This is what life's about. Like you said, we're on a conveyor belt or or however you want to describe our path. We've kind of limited our world in a way. And maybe that's what creativity does open up as well. When you start asking those questions, you say, maybe what I understand to be a view of my society or my world or my gender or my outlook on life maybe there's other option. And I don't know, maybe people are scared of asking those questions after a point because they don't want to change their mind about things. That's absolutely right. And people take, they draw lines in the sand and they say, this is my team. It'll be my team forever. And this, this is how I identify. And this is what I, these are my principles, but gosh, don't you want to change? I don't want to have the same opinions I had when I was 20. (laughs) Thank goodness I don't because I I want to keep learning and I want to have empathy and to understand things from multiple perspectives. And yeah, absolutely. I've always been interested in the gray areas. You know, in school you had to do the debates and you had to pretend like you really had an opinion. I hated that. I'm (laughs) like, but that's just lying. I'm more interested in the nuance and and that's okay like I'm terrible in an argument I will just cry and run away perhaps but I 
I'm just like, look what I'm up. You know, and I envy people who can really vocalize their opinions when they have, I have passions about certain things, but I do like being open to change and having my mind changed as well. And I wish, yeah, I wish other people did as well. Perhaps um, if, if they didn't hang on to these ideas as so strongly, perhaps, then yeah, that that might open up some more meaningful conversations. In your teaching, what do you find gets under their skin when they're resistant? You're talking particularly about teenage students who, you know, feel that shame or embarrassment or fear of, of expressing themselves. What have you found works? What do you poke them with that eventually gets them going? Sometimes I say to overcome this fear that they're going to do it wrong. I say, you're God of the story. You have complete control. You get to invent someone. You get to change the weather. You get to decide if they're going to live or die. And they're like, die. I'm like, okay, I'm going to actually, they're not going to die. Um, But you get to choose what's going to happen to them and to have, to realize that they're in the driver's seat. Because as a young person, you're generally not. And you've got adults telling you all of these. And and your adult, the, the parents have been, you know, often at home, they have strong beliefs about certain things. So you think, well, that's right. Is that right? And then you're at school and the parents are, and the teachers are telling you different things and you have to wear certain things behaving. You don't have much control at all. And when I tell young people that their story is theirs and they can't get it wrong and they can make anything happen, it, it gives them this empowerment yeah, the kind of empowerment that I feel when I'm writing. So that helps them. Yeah. And also I, what I do in my writing workshops is I give them very structured activities to start with, because part of the barrier to creating is, as I mentioned before, the the infinite possibilities. So anything is possible. And they're like, but where do I start? Because at school, you're taught to get things right. You're taught that, you know, this is right and this is wrong. And let's do the multi-choice questions and let's try to be as right as possible. But when I say you, there are infinite possibilities, they get paralyzed with that choice and that fear of being wrong. So to start with the story, I might break it down, give them very specific like you might say you have to include this object or this is the weather or whatever because what that does is if if you take away so much choice and you give them specific things they have to follow then actually that allows them to be more free within that situation like for instance sometimes with poetry if someone would tell me right you're going to write a poem you're going to write a poem about anything. I would be frozen. I mean, I can't do a certain, I can't think of a single idea. But if they said to me, you're going to write a 14 line poem made up of ABCB rhyming pattern, it's going to, you know, involve this, this, this. And if they give me all of the constraints, then it just kind of ignites my creativity within that. So yeah, just to, to give them some limitations and then they feel like they can be free within that. So bound, boundaries, I guess. It feels like you've got a little bit of a bugbear about mainstream education these days, <laughs> about the way kids are, I mean, I guess it is very results focused. Are we doing kids a disservice in this way by sort of making them feel that these academic results are the only important things in their life? Or is it really important that they get these sort of 
high marks so they can go on to choose other careers? Yeah, a couple of things at play there. I guess the first is that if you're just teaching to get to certain grades, then it's just creating developing their short-term memories and then they forget it. I don't know about you, but I remember I'd, I'd do an exam and I'd forget everything immediately afterwards. There's no sense of learning because you want to or learning because this is important or learning because you enjoy it. So part of education should be about developing your ability to learn, but also your your passion for learning, your desire to learn. Because it's often not about the knowledge, which is constantly changing anyway, but, your, but the skills there and the drive. So I don't think that's really being achieved in a, in a lot of school environments the excitement to learn the joy what's in it for them you know you only want to learn if you if it's of, of interest to you and the second thing is that there's so much pressure already on teenagers not just to get the good grades but then to decide what they're going to do with their lives and so it's this huge pressure cooker environment suddenly having to be competitive with their friends (laughs) to do as well as they can to beat other people but not only that to make these big decisions which will affect the rest of their lives and they're told you know this is really important if you don't do well it's used as a a school sometimes uses as a form of um you know motivation you have to do really well but you know what is it actually saying if you fail this you're going to fail life and your life is going to be doomed and I know it sounds dramatic but this is what they're hearing from you, you go from class to class to class and each of their teachers are telling them they have to do it otherwise there are consequences and so it feels like they're this they could really fail life at this time even from year seven they're choosing I'm going to do drama or I'm not going to do that and, and so but, every time but they, they say you should choose electives of the things you want to do in uni and it's like they're in year 10 how would they yeah. know like I, I get it some people have that awareness and they've got a, an understanding of the sorts of things they want to go into but most kids are still just trying to work out how to make their bed you know at in this modern era let alone know exactly what they want to do with their lives their brains haven't finished developing and and they don't know what they want uh they might have interest but then again the parents are also saying oh if you're going to go to uni you've got to do this and this and this and there's pressure on them to be a success and so like you say they're 13 14 and they're thinking all right I have my passions but I'm going to have to put them out of the way because that's not a real thing. That's not a lucrative thing. And my parents want this and they've got all of these mixed messages. I didn't know what I want. I wanted to do everything. When I was 17, I remember having to choose what I wanted to do at uni. I knew I wanted to go to uni because I loved learning and I wanted to meet more people like me. And But I didn't know I was interested in, you know, six, seven, eight things. And I remember choosing one thing felt like I was shutting the doors mm. to each of the other six or seven things and it felt like a kind of a grief you know that I couldn't live that life because when I'm writing I want to live many lives and I guess I only get to live this one life but that's a fallacy you know completely wrong we know that we can live you can try many careers you can change paths but teenagers still feel this pressure of making the one right decision and I think that's scary and terrifying and I'm saying this not just as a a teacher but uh, I've been teaching for the last 17 years in a very special environment in, in hospitals I've been working with teenagers in mental health wards who for various reasons are they're having treatment and I see I see all kinds of things but sometimes what I see is that the pressure but also they feel they don't have choice they feel they don't have control 
over their lives and what a terrible thing to tell a young person, whether that's directly or in- indirectly. Look, I don't know what the answer is. All I try to do is in my creative writing workshops now is just to say, you know, your life is a story and you're making it up and there's no wrong path or right path and you get to change direction. So just to give that analogy of creativity and an approach to living that, yeah, you get to make many choices. Especially when you live in a country like Australia where we are incredibly fortunate, it's almost a crime to not make the most of the opportunities for choice to live, you know, a life of joy rather than of what you feel you have to do. But but I think parents, it's an understandable thing that parents feel nervous about kids going into creative pursuits. Do you think that plays into it too? Parents are just nervous about the unpredictability or the sometimes the lack of money that comes with creative work? Yeah, that's entirely understandable even if they don't necessarily believe it themselves they're repeating messages they hear other people say or that you know they were told when they were younger as well and and I get that they're they're coming at it from a place of love and protection all I can say is there are so many ways of being creative and we need creativity in all pursuits and whatever job you go into or engineers need creativity and teachers need creativity and dentists need creativity and creativity is a is a way of of being and looking at the world and asking questions and so that's something to nurture whatever they they're doing but with regards to parents having a really strong I guess, influence or control over their child's decisions. Look, I'm not going to step into people's lives and suggest what they do there. But, yeah, I'm just going to say that I've seen the impacts of that. Are you referring to kids that you've you've yeah, been working with yeah. in, in mental health facilities? Very unhappy children, very unhappy teenagers who, who want to please, mm. often teenagers who are, you know, good kids or and sometimes perfectionists and, and they want to make everyone happy and they, they can't and they forget about themselves. And so I guess a gentleness is what I would recommend and, and knowing that this is for the parents, I guess. If they choose something that they care about now, it doesn't mean that that's what they're going to be doing in 30 years' time. Like when I'm writing, all I can do is see it directly in front of me. Like I said, with the torchlight in the dark house. And that's all we can do when we're living. You can't, I don't know about you, but I always have had trouble when people said, write down your five-year plan. I'm like, what? (laughs) What? No, I I don't, even if I knew, I don't want to know because I want to discover it. As I go, I don't have a five-year plan and good on you if you do. But I am more interested in the thing that lights me up now. I heard this saying, go in the direction of your dreams. So you don't know really what the dream is, but you have a sense of it and you move in the direction. That's exactly what I say to my girls. And I say, just move in the direction of things you love. And that doesn't mean that that thing you love is going to be, you know, my daughter will say, I just love talking to my friends. And I'm like, well, I'm not saying that's going to be your career, but maybe it is. I don't know. But maybe it it informs the sort of career you'll do. Maybe you'll recognise that you're not made for solitary work. So The more you become aware of the things that do bring you joy and you try to do more of them, I I say that will make clear the sorts of work that will bring you happiness. 
The flip side of this, Amanda, is that neither of my daughters are going to be brain surgeons. Are you okay with this, Kate? <laughs> like neither have or Olympic swimmers. I haven't pushed them hard enough to be either of those things. You know what? I think there are other people becoming brain surgeons and Olympic swimmers. So they other people have got that confidence. It, it's gonna to have to be someone else's kids. <laughs> but you never know where they're gonna where these qualities, you know, are gonna lead them. They might become podcasters themselves. They might go into all kinds of of areas but what you're asking them to do is to know themselves know what lights them up and I guess one of the things I believe in is that your passion is what you do in your spare time you know what is it that they do in their spare time what is it they do when they don't have what is it that they choose to do and if it's reading or talking to their friends and and just use that and go what what is that what does that look like where might that lead you because we don't know and we also don't know the nature of, of jobs in the future no. like Kate your daughter might become a brain surgeon because you make her but then in 10 years time we've got robots doing all the brain surgery because it's decided that it's safer so lucky your daughter's not choosing it now no. um, you know, it, we, we have so much uncertainty ahead of us and you can't plan to, towards it but just go in the direction of your dreams and see immediately yeah have that sense of what lights you up and move towards that. So I want to take a little U-turn because I know that you're also a cyclist. Tell me how cycling and writing are similar and how they're different. I assume how they're different is pretty obvious to everyone. How are they How are they similar? There's a lot of thinking time and I daydream actually. I'm safe, you know, with, the, with cars and traffic and all of that. But it is a great opportunity to daydream when I'm out, especially on my own, when I'm with a group and we're going very fast and perhaps I need to stay more focused. I find that I can daydream better when I'm moving, when I'm physical. So I find that exercise, walking the dog this morning and I just, you know, let whatever happens happen in in my head. So I think that's the similarity with cycling. And perhaps the the repetition as well. It does get very repetitious. So yeah, they do complement each other. As you say, there's the physical and there's there's a lot of sitting down as a writer. So I need to get up and move. Yeah, and I just find that it helps me. I need to be in nature as well. I'm not a gym person. I couldn't go to the gym and do any of and and be daydreaming. It would drive me crazy. But uh, I need to be outdoors in nature and and moving through it, moving in it, being a part of it. I like feeling small in nature as well. I like feeling that I'm an observer and I'm just a part of something so much bigger than myself. And that, I guess, is related to wonder, which is related to writing. So it's, yeah, just a chance for me to be outdoors and be quiet in, and be a witness, I guess, to the world that goes on around me, despite me, and doesn't really care if I exist or not. And it's a kind of a nice thing to know that what I do doesn't really matter. I love that. I love I love that idea that you've said about being in nature and feeling small within it. People might take that one way when you sort of say knowing that what you do doesn't actually matter, but I, I get what you're saying. Like, so have fun. Enjoy enjoy what you're That's doing. It. Enjoy life because in the end it doesn't really doesn't really matter most of the time. Most of really- almost all of the things we worry about don't really matter. 
be a good person and do what you can. But so I love mountain biking and, and I love being in the forest and being around these big trees that were alive long before I was and will be alive long after I am, hopefully. And yeah, they don't care what stories I write. And I'm good with that. That liberates me in a way rather than hanging on to, I'm so important. <laughs> like, no, I know I'm just a part of many, um, you know, this whole chain of many other things. And that's actually a really lovely thing. So to be in nature and to be reminded of that and how beautiful it is and also to get out of my own stupid head because my head is noisy and it won't shut up and there are so many voices in there and all kinds of things so oh, I don't want to stay in it all the time I want it to be quiet and I want to see other things and because I don't think I'm that special uh, and just to yeah just to be in the world and enjoy being a human being on this planet even though we don't have all the answers and, and that's okay. So with your book, and I haven't finished it because I, I only got it a little while ago and I realised I was racing and I thought I don't want to race through it. This is your sick one song and it's about the premise is about a group of teens who are trying to write a song for the sort of Triple J unearthed high school competition and then they realize that I don't want to give it away but but they're just trying to write this one song so this is a book about creativity isn't it it sure is this is the one in which I really wanted to explore creativity and in this pressure cooker setting so it's all over one weekend and how do you make a song when you're working with other people and how do you do it under pressure and how do you write something from scratch and how do you do something that isn't derivative and so I wanted to explore that and have some fun with that and also, I guess some of the other things that we've been talking about already, how do you actually know what you want to do with your one life at 17? And, and how do you be a good person when you've got all the voices in your head, the teachers saying, well, music isn't a real career. You should do law. You're good at law. You should be a lawyer. And my poor Eva is going, but, but how do I know? But I really love music. And so how are you supposed to know? How do you reconcile your big passions with this funnel this funnel which is reality um so and also I wanted to have fun because we need fun and life is fun and you know amongst it all uh we get to live what a what a bloody marvel that is what a stroke of luck that we are here and whatever I write I really want to kind of inject it with that sense of wonder and joy that we get the chance there so I wanted to have some fun it is my most autobiographical novel even though I was never a muso uh I was a creative person and I was a perfectionist and yes because Eva, Eva, <laughs> Eva strikes me as someone who would definitely have a long list of to-dos and probably a segment circle kind of way of you know dissecting her life every day yeah, very much me. <laughs> she is. And my other character, so there are five main characters, as you know, and each of them has their own, you know, interesting personality drawn from me, of course, and people I know, but they're all complementing each other in different ways. But of course, all approaching this creative task very differently. Yeah, so I, I kind of stuffed a lot of things in there that I wish I could tell my teenage self, to be honest, but also that I get the chance to tell young people now. It's not a preachy book. It's not a didactic book by any means. It's a fun book. But I just wanted to say a few things. And I guess one of the main things that one of the main themes that comes through my books through the process is about courage and how to live a brave life and what does courage look like so yeah be creative and be brave and 
be brave enough to be creative, but also that learning to trust yourself. That's really important for Eva too. We've talked about creativity. Did you watch, I don't know if you're a Beatles fan, did you watch the mm. doco? Get Back? What? Yeah, Get back. it was amazing. I loved it. Did you not find that part in the, I think it was in the first episode where they said I think they're writing get back you know where John Lennon's sitting there with Paul McCartney and Paul McCartney's just sort of strumming at some notes and working it out and someone says something else and it just this moment that gives birth to a incredibly you know iconic song I, I just found that so inspirational to watch the power of you know creativity the magic absolutely it is because you there said it's some... not you said it's not magic but I actually think there is a bit of magic in it and I know what you've been saying but I think there is a bit of magic in creativity as well uh, yeah I, sh- I should be fair so I guess I say it's not magic to try to allow people an access into it that they don't need some magical abilities but they don't need necessarily a special talent or anything that's like it that. yeah but there are some bit some points where I'm writing and I'm just get my goosebumps like hairs go up on my arms I'm just like and it's like it takes my breath away because I hadn't I couldn't have done that before and I couldn't have imagined this happening and and it feels like a magic having said that it's like I'm going to use the Beatles in that instance as an example it wasn't just you know four random people coming together and just making something up it was they'd been work playing together for years and years at that point someone had just thought of something and brought it in it's all of these just ingredients that happened to arrive on that day and and it would have been different if someone had you know not turned up or whatever so that all these ingredients needed to make that magic happen and then knowing each other and having that that trust and that faith in each other to just be noodling around there's a lot of people who don't trust themselves to be jamming so in my book one song Eva for instance is terrified of jamming because mm-hmm. she feels like she can't make something up on the spot because it might be terrible but in the Beatles example, they trust each other so much and they have a sense, they have a faith, going back to faith in this process that they're open to trying something new and they don't always make get back, you know, they might make something stupid and that's okay as well. They made a lot of stupid sounding songs. I mean, amazing. <laughs> but they made some very funny little songs too, right? They didn't. Absolutely. It wasn't all but, yeah, one, I, one type. I loved watching that as well. It did feel really special to be a fly on the wall there and see that. Well, thank you, Amanda. And I I just want to say thank you also for the fact you do write these books, not only the work you're obviously doing teaching kids, but I think people listening should be grateful that there's people out there like you who are helping young people and older people, but helping them discover the creativity that's inside them and how to express it. I think we're very lucky to have people like you in the world. Oh, thank you so much. I'm just I'm just making it up as I go along as well. <laughs> All the better. <laughs> thank you so much for chatting today. I really enjoyed it, AJ. AJ, Amanda. Take your pick. Take I'm your pick. Thank and you good, so good much. Good luck with Kate. the book and good luck with the next one. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kate. I appreciate it. <laughs>